that word accept. It's sad because it says, you know, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and how good it would have been if there would have been a period there. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And may that, you know, in our, in our eulogies, at our funerals, and I pray that's how ours end, you know, Rory did what was right in the sight of the Lord, period. You know, Jason did what was right in the sight of the Lord, period. You know, Brandon did what was right in the sight of the Lord, period. But man, may it not be said of this group of people, they're a yet or an accept. Accept that, you know, he worshipped Hollywood, you know, or accept that he worshipped, you know, this band or accept that he worshiped women or accept that he worshiped himself. And we see here that this uh, Azariah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. There was some obedience there, but the sad thing is he didn't remove the high places. Remember the high places uh, when the children of Israel came into Israel or the land of Canaan, Uh, the pagans there had all these high places. And we're going to read tonight that under every green tree, there were these little places of worship. And the Lord says, when you come into that land, you get out your chainsaw and your hatchet and you knock those things down and you crush those things and don't even look at them and don't even ask about them. Because the minute you start looking at these or asking about these high places, you're going to start wondering about these gods. And you're going to be intrigued by them. And, and the Lord knows man's hearts that man would slip into worship, this false system of worship. And so here we see that Am- uh, excuse me, Azariah had a struggle in his heart with, with worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And that's something about our worship is that we need to worship the Lord in truth. Not by how we feel or by what we want, but according to how his word tells us to worship him. Just like my relationship with my wife. You know, my wife doesn't want me to love her, love her however I want to love her. You know, my wife has certain needs and has her certain, you know, way that she wants to be loved and she doesn't want Rory's selfish love. She doesn't want Rory's, you know, however it's convenient to Rory. You know, when I'm done mountain biking and when I'm done watching this TV show and when I'm done with my work, you know, and when I'm done getting home and having, you know, uh, just time on the couch, then I'll talk to her. You know, last night I came home, just the day was a long day here at the church and came home and just went, sat down to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with Russell and just was like, oh, this is what Rory needs right now. She's like, get in here while she's cooking. Get in here and talk to me. <laughs> Russell, I want to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. You know, I was like, not right now, son. Daddy has to talk to mommy. You know, uh, It's not about what Rory wants, you know. It's about what Lindsay wants. Same as with the Lord. It's not about what we want. The Lord has his standards of how he needs to be loved because he is truth and he must be worshipped in truth. And so, uh, you know, just sad to see that word in verse 4, accept, as, as he would go worship in these pagan high places. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. So, 
he's, he's struck with this leprosy by the Lord. And we know through our studies of the word that leprosy is a picture of what? Sin. We've covered that pretty good in the last few months, haven't we? You know, sin starts out small and it spreads just like leprosy. You know, uh, sin defiles us and isolates us from fellowship, just like leprosy defiles and isolates us from the, com- you know, the community of, uh, of uh, civilization because you stink and you smell and your arm is falling off. You know, people don't want to be around that. Uh, it's the same with sin. And we've established that pretty good. Um, and so for some reason, the Lord gave this lukewarm Christian, <laughs> is what he was, he was lukewarm, uh, he gave this man leprosy, a picture of sin. And Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea, he says, you guys are lukewarm. You're not hot and you're not cold, but you're lukewarm. And I wish you were either hot for me or cold for me, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And how we hate lukewarm beverages, am I right? You know, if you ever just hot day, you're out mowing the lawn and you go to take a swig of that iced milk that you brought out the beginning of the project, you know, halfway through the day, you know, it's not iced milk, you know, and you want to do what Jesus wanted to do to the Laodiceans, you know, vomit it out. Uh, No one likes a lukewarm beverage. It's just, ah, you know, it's the same with us. It's the same with uh, Azariah here. You know, the Lord wanted all of Azariah, yet Azariah compromised. And so he, be, he was struck with this plague that showed what his heart really looked like. His heart was stinky. His heart was falling apart. His heart was um, isolating him from the community. And this sin issue in Azariah's life needed to be dealt with. And sadly, we don't see that ever happening in this man's life. Now, why would this semi-godly man be struck with leprosy? I mean, that seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? I mean, there's times that I struggle with being lukewarm, you know, and the Lord convicts me of that, and, and the Lord hasn't struck me, hasn't struck you with leprosy yet. So what's the deal, God? Well, we want to be looking at Second Chronicles, which has a lot of parallel passages for us tonight, okay? So you're going to flip over to Second Chronicles chapter 26, and you're going to Keep your finger or your tab or your ribbon or a piece of paper there all night because we're going to look at a few different um, sections in 2 Chronicles. But check out verse 6 here in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Now, something you guys need to know, which I haven't touched on yet, Azariah has a, another name. It's, a, it's another way of it being spelled, which we pronounce uh, <laughs> Uzziah, okay? Uzziah. In fact, most of the time he's called Uzziah in the scriptures. All throughout 2 Chronicles, he's called Uzziah. One time in 2 Kings, he's called Uzziah. So don't be confused. Amaziah is also known as uh, Uzziah. So we'll read about him here. He's the same guy that you guys know Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah writes, In the day that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. You guys know that vision that Isaiah had? That was during this guy's death, okay? So that's the same guy, same time frame there as Isaiah was a prophet. But in verse 6, it says that Uzziah went out and made war against the Philistines, 
and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal, and against the Munites. Also, the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. You might underline that. This is a good thing to know about Uzziah. His fame went clear down to the entrance of Egypt. He was exceedingly strong. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert, dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. That describe any of you? He's a, a green thumb. Loving the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies. According to the number on their roll as prepared by Jael the scribe and Maseiah the officer, under the hand of Hanani, one of the king's captains, the total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. That's just the total number of chief officers, uh, uh, 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against his enemy. So Uzziah had a great, a great uh, force, an army with him. Uh, Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor. You know, they probably had the little logo of Under Armour, you know, on their little, you know, it was Uzziah, you and you, you know, uh, get, your, get your body armor on, shields, spears, helmets, armors, bows, and slings to cast stones. If you're a man here and you're not frothing at the mouth, something's wrong with you. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. So that's all really good. You know, why does this guy have leprosy? It seems like he's doing a pretty good job there in Judah. Well, let's keep reading here. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Let's read that again. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. So Uzziah goes in, he's starting to offer incense on the altar and 80 men, 80 priests come in with, the, what was his name? Azariah, or no, it wasn't a, yeah, Azariah the priest. They all come in and they were valiant men. Sometimes we think of priests as, you know, they haven't been lifting much heavy stuff, you know, they just kind of hang out in the confession chambers or whatever, you know, and, you know, kind of like me, you know. Um, but these guys were valiant, and you can just picture 80 of these men, big priests coming in saying, hey, Uzziah, I don't know what you think you're doing in here offering incense, but it's not your job, buddy. That's the confrontation that happened here. And they withstood, verse 18, King Uzziah, and said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, and said to him, it's uh, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated <clears throat> to burn incense get out of the sanctuary 
for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. So it wasn't even, you know, just simple lukewarmness, but that lukewarmness had led to more sin and more sin. And we see he's overcome with pride here. He'd become so great and he hadn't been spending time with the Lord. As we spend time with the Lord, we're put in our place because we see the Lord for who he is, high and lifted up. And we see ourselves for who we are, wretched sinners who need help, you know, big time. And this guy hasn't been spending time in the word. He hasn't been spending time with the Lord. And so as he's having these victories, he's just getting more puffed up and more puffed up. And, you know, he decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm just going to worship the Lord however I want. I already do it on the high places, so why not do it here in the temple? And he came and did it. You know that the Lord, uh, he's a proponent of separation of church and state, you know? Uh, But it's not the way the world thinks of it. In fact, even in America, the whole idea of separation in church and state was to protect the church, not the state. You know, but as the government gets involved with the church, then it starts to be corrupted, just like it was under Constantine. You know, and so here we see Uzziah going in. He had no business being in there. You know, this was a place where the the priests under the line of Aaron needed to be uh, offering up this incense. And so he was struck with, you know, leprosy on his forehead of all places, you know, and it just kind of started to spread in front of them. They thrust him out and he also started running out uh, because of that embarrassment and so he dwelt it says there uh, just remember keep your finger in second chronicles and and also we'll come back here to chapter 15 of second kings he dwelt in an isolated house which literally means um freedom house it means uh, a house of freedom and in this case he was freed from his his governing of rule you know the lord had relieved him of his duties and that was now given to his son uh jotham Uh, Jotham, his son, reigned in his place there in verse 7. Verse 8, in the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. So now we're back on the left side uh, with Zechariah, the first white name there on the bottom. So six-month reign. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Uh, Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, indeed are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel. This was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. Now remember Jehu, about halfway down on the left, uh, who had, he had killed Jehoram. Remember, Jehu was anointed by Elisha 
to kill the house of Ahab, the wicked house of Ahab. And he was so zealous at his mission that the Lord said, you've done a good job. And because you did such a good job, you're going to have four sons uh, on the throne of Israel. So Jehoahaz, Joash, Jeroboam II, uh, and Zechariah. Zechariah was the last son that reigned on the throne, just like Elisha said would happen. And Shalom uh, killed uh, Zechariah there. Verse 13, uh, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And he reigned, oh, wonderfully long reign here. And he reigned a full month in Samaria. For Menahem, the son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah, came to Samaria, and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria, and killed him, uh, and he reigned in his place. So now we're seeing in Israel here, these, the reigns of Israel are going just through quick succession. I mean, guys are getting knocked off, dropping like fr- fries. <laughs> Looked at a couple of people that work at Dairy Queen, and I was like, they're dropping like fries, right? No? Anybody? Okay. Um, dropping like flies. Uh, and, and so there's just some quick succession here as uh, Menahem uh, takes, takes the throne here. Uh, verse 16, uh, then from Tirzah, Menahem attacked Tipsah, all who were there in its territory, because he did, they did not surrender, therefore he attacked it. And all the women there who were with child, he ripped open. And so this is a king of, of Israel. You know, just think of how far they've fallen from David up at the top with a star by his name, you know, who, who just had an awesome intimate walk with the Lord. Uh, and now we've got kings, you know, uh, ripping open women with children. Um, so just how wicked they've become. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, became king over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, who had made Israel sin. Now, uh, so I, I, just, I recognize a few new faces here. So when we keep reading about Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and those sins, we're talking about Jeroboam up top on the left, who was the first king of the divided nation of Israel, okay? Now, he was a mighty man of valor and had potential, and the Lord gave him the same promise that he gave Solomon, saying, if you obey me and keep my commandments and my statutes, your kingdom will be an awesome, strong kingdom. I'll be with you. You'll have no lacking. Uh, you know, uh, you'll, have wine, you know, you'll have grapes in the wine press and wheat on the threshing floor. You know, you, you'll, you know, your enemies will run from you. A hundred enemies will run from one guy, you know. Just, just keep me, keep me at the forefront of everything you do. And Jeroboam didn't do that. In fact, uh, immediately in Jeroboam's reign, he set up these two golden calves, one in northern Israel and one in southern Israel, uh, and had the people worship these golden calves. And so he set up this false system of worship, this idolatry, and every single one of the 19 kings of Israel struggled with that sin of the first king of, of Israel. Every single one of them. There was not one of the 19 kings of Israel that didn't worship uh, under this false system that Jeroboam had set up. So um, <clears throat> just sad to see that. Verse 19, And Paul, the king of Assyria, came against the land. And Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver 
that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom uh, under his uh, control. And Menahem exacted the money from Israel, from all the very wealthy, from each man, 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. So this is uh, the first mentioning here of the king of Assyria really beginning to uh, uh, start attacking Israel. Uh, Assyria was the tool that God used to discipline and to spank, you know, to chasten Israel for their sin. And we just see it beginning right here. I think last week we studied it a little bit too, but by the end of tonight we're going to see a full-fledged attack by Assyria onto Israel and then full-fledged captivity of Israel by Assyria. Uh, so, you know, he, he tried to pay off the king of Assyria, Paul. Um, Paul, we're going to read of also in verse 29, uh, he is AKA'd as Tiglath-Pileser. Okay, so we'll see him later. His shortened name is Paul there in verse 19. Uh, now the rest of the acts of Menahem, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of King of Israel? Uh, so Menahem rested with his father, and Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. Verse 23, don't, don't crash on me, you guys. Don't crash on me, okay? We're, we're getting to something, you know, long names, long Hebrew names. It's getting hot in here, you know. Uh, stick with me, okay? Stick with me, okay? Um, it gets good. It gets real good. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years. Two years. Man, check out these long reigns. Uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Then Pekah, the son of Remelah, uh, an officer of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Ariah. And with them were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, indeed they're written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, or Uzziah, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 20 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who'd made Israel sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ijon, Abel, Beth, Makkah, Janoah, Kedesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. So here we have just this, uh, this superpower of Assyria that has been getting stronger and stronger and stronger for about 150 years. And the more corrupt that Israel has been getting, the stronger Assyria has been. Now the interesting thing is they've been a superpower for 150 years. They could have easily come over and just taken Israel and Judah, uh, but something has been hindering them from attacking Israel. Something to know about the Assyrians is they were very violent. You know, they had methods of torture and methods of imprisonment that are similar to that of the Nazis. Um, in fact, this Pole that we read about, King Pole or Tiglath-Pileser II, was one of the most successful military generals in all of world history. And he conquered pretty much all of the then-known um, <clears throat> uh, world that was known to those ancient Assyrians. He was kind of like an Alexander the Great, you know, or a Caesar. Just this brilliant uh, genius guy. Now, do you guys know the capital of Assyria? The capital of Assyria is this little town or big city <laughs> called Nineveh. Now, what do we know Nineveh from? Jonah. Get this. About 150 years before now, 
Jonah had been sent to Nineveh by the Lord. And you guys know the story of Jonah. Went, tried to, get, tried to escape out on the Mediterranean Sea, you know, got swallowed by the whale, got spit out, had to go walk back over to Nineveh, be obedient to the Lord. Now, interesting that 150 years goes by before the Assyrians finally attack Israel. My guess is because as these kings, you know, uh, would tell the story of their Assyrian past and the revival that took place back in the days of Jonah, they remembered Jonah, they remembered Israel, they remembered this God of Israel, they remembered how powerful the God of Israel was, and there was no way they wanted to go face that God or attack the people that you know, Jonah was from. Until finally we've got Paul, and it seems that he's forgotten the days of Jonah Um, But that's okay. It's all part of God's plan to chasten Israel. So in verse 29, we read that he carries just this huge part of Israel away. We read of Galilee there. That's a familiar spot to you Bible readers. Uh, He takes even Galilee and just this uh, large amount of people captive. And this was in 733 BC. Okay, You might just write that in the margin of your Bible there. 733 BC is the first wave of of the Assyrian captivity. Uh, Eleven years later, a a larger wave of captivity is going to come, and that's in chapter 17, if we get there tonight. We're going to be taking bets on if we will. Um, Excuse me. And so so we've got this uh, pole or this Tiglath-Pilesar taking them uh, captive, Israel, in their wickedness. Verse 30. Then Hosea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, and struck and killed him, so he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, they're written in the books of the Chronicles of the King of Israel. So Hosea will be the last king of Israel. Okay, 19 kings of Israel, every one of them wicked. Hosea is the last one, and he got the throne through uh, conspiracy. And so... uh, then in verse 32, the second year of Pekah, we kind of hop back over to the right side to Jotham. Remember, Jotham was the son of uh, uh, Azariah. And uh, I think I might have messed up there. It's actually Azariah's name is Uzziah. So, sorry, I'm not very good at PowerPoint. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, so Jotham here, the son of Uzziah, begins to reign. He's 25 years old when he becomes king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You might underline that because there's few little bright spots in Israel's history. And Jotham is one of them. Doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, he did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. And you might be thinking right now, all that his father Uzziah had done. Didn't his father Uzziah go into the temple and get leprosy? And so Second Chronicles tells us, He did all that his father Uzziah had done, except that he didn't go into the temple. Okay, so he learned from his father's mistakes uh, and didn't go do that that stupid deed there. Um, And uh, verse 35, however, the high places, yeah, exactly, however, you're seeing this. We've got howevers and yets and, um, you know, darn it, you know. (laughs) Uh, However, these high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Syria, 
uh, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, against Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. So we know that Jotham was actually a good king. I gave him a gold star. Uh, he actually didn't worship at these high places. He didn't remove them, but he didn't worship there. He did have a heart after the Lord. And, and you can read more about him over there in Second Chronicles. You know, in fact, it says that he did good, but the people still acted corruptly. Uh, chapter 16, in the seventh, 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. So Ahaz's uh, you know, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was David, who's the standard for righteousness. You know, even though David sinned with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, David was a man who completely appealed to the tender mercies of God, recognized his sin, confessed his sin, and was forgiven, and constantly was coming before the throne of grace. And throughout 2 Kings, remember, we see that David is the standard uh, for that righteous man. And, and sadly, his great, 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 blah, 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 uh, son Ahaz, uh, did not even begin to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. So that's kind of sad to see in Judah. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. So King Ahaz made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations. That means that King Ahaz sacrificed his son sacrificed his son on this, uh, this idol to Molech, this pagan god that, you know, they would build, you know, the, the god had a big brass bowl in his arms, and they would heat the fire up till it was glowing red, this bowl, and they would put their young children in. In fact, nine months before they would do these sacrifices, they would have all of the women get uh, pregnant so that nine months later, everyone would have these babies that just this mass child sacrifice would take place. And here we see a king of Judah taking part in this. And what makes it worse is it wasn't just one son that he sacrificed, but Second Chronicles tells us he sacrificed many children uh, in this bowl. And, you know, it's a symbol to us today, you know, of, of what we do for our kids. You know, uh, how I put Russell second place in my life for my selfish gain. It's the same with, you know, they would also have sexual immorality and worship gods with sexual immorality and how men and women today, they worship God uh, through sex uh, and they can worship God through abortion, you know, and killing their children for their own benefit and their own gain. And, uh, and we just see that that's an abomination before the Lord. And that's, that's according to the abominations of all um, it says there, of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. You read Leviticus chapter 16 and 18, uh, and you read about uh, when you come into the land, do not do what the people before you did. Because before you came, I vomited them, vomited them out of the land because they were so filthy and disgusting and, and it was horrible and when you come in, don't begin to do it either or I'll vomit you out of the land as well. And in chapter 17, we'll read Israel ends up getting vomited out of the land uh, because of their pagan deeds. And so here just uh, King Ahaz 
uh, sacrifices his children uh, to this pagan Molech and practices false worship here. <clears throat> and he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but they could not overcome him. And uh, it's interesting, sometimes Israel would go to war with Judah against Syria, and sometimes Israel would go to war with Syria against Judah. And we've read this a lot as we've been walking through the kings. And Israel was a very fickle folk, you know. Oh, I'm mad at Syria. Come on, Judah, let's get them. Oh, I'm mad at Judah. Come on, Syria, let's get them. I wouldn't trust Israel as far as I could throw them to ally myself with them. And so, you know, it says here that they fought, but they did not overcome um, overcome him. He, they didn't come overcome Ahaz. Now, let's flip over to the parallel passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 5. It says, Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Assyria. So, so here we see Ahaz, you know, his people are kind of being delivered into the king of Assyria. They defeated him. They carried away a great multitude of them as captives. And brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they'd forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So, you know, it ends up that Ahaz isn't completely defeated, he himself, by the king. But we see that really there was some defeat that took place. Uh, you know, 200,000 mighty men there. Uh, and then it goes, and, and what's the, why, why did this happen? Uh, because it says they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Masala, the king's son. Um, uh, Ezrakim, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who uh, was second to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. And they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. So he definitely didn't go away unblemished from this war against Israel and Syria. Jump down to verse, uh, verse 9. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Obed. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he's delivered them into your hand. But you've killed them in a rage that reaches up to the heaven." And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves, but are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me, hear me therefore, and return the captives whom you've taken captive from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, Becker the son of Melilla, uh, and blah, blah, the blah, blah, um, lots of guys there. They all stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, you shall not bring the captives here for we already have offended the Lord and you intend to add to our sins and to our guilt for our guilt is great and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. Then the men who were among them dressed them and gave them sandals, gave them food and drink and anointed them. And they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho 
the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. So they were beaten, you know, Judah was beaten really bad. King Ahaz was beaten really bad. And as they're taking these people back to Samaria to be their slaves and all that, awesome prophets stand up. And isn't that neat that even in the most pagan, wicked country, the Lord has reserved men, mighty men, holy men. And we see that they were very brave. In fact, how would you like to stand up and confront a bunch of guys that are coming back from war with all their plunder? I mean, those are the guys you don't want to stand up to. They've got the enemy's blood still kind of on them, you know. They've got their swords still sharp, you know. Who do you think you are? But these men, they stood up boldly and spoke the truth to them and said, God delivered them to us because of their sin, but we have that same sin. You know, we've got to get the plank out of our own eye first. And, and the neat thing is, is that they yielded there and they let these captives go back. And so, you know, Ahaz here... Uh, as he was about, if we could rewind just a hair, as he was about to go into this big battle against Syria, are you still following with me? Starting to see some, starting to see some glazed eyes there. <laughs> Elizabeth, you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. Um, as he was about to go into this battle, the Lord spoke to him through Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, it says this. Uh, <clears throat> Let me see if I can just skip ahead real quick. Uh, It says, uh, it was told to the house of David saying, serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So Ahaz's heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They were afraid to go to war. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now and meet Ahaz. At the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. For these two stubs of smoking firebrand, uh, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, uh, because they want to do evil against you. And then he says this, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall. It says it shall not stand. And if you jump down a little bit, Isaiah said to Ahaz this, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the heights above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Here's what's happening. Isaiah came to Ahaz and spoke for the Lord and said, you can beat these guys. They're just these two little pieces of stubble on the ground. You can beat them. Ask the Lord for a sign that this is true, that you can beat them. And Ahaz lacked in faith and said, I'm not going to ask nothing. And so Isaiah ends up going and says this, fine, I'll give you a sign anyways and see if you recognize this. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Who's he talking about there? Talking about Jesus You don't have the strength to walk in the promises of all that God has for the nation of Israel? Fine. Here's your sign. In the words of Bill Engvall, you know, here's your sign. A virgin is going to conceive and have a son, and he's going to come out. His name's going to be Emmanuel. God is with us. And he's the one that's going to walk in the promises of all that God has for Israel. So fine, Ahaz, go your way and get defeated. And so Ahaz went. And missed out on a huge blessing. Missed out on a huge blessing. And so as we work on 
work along. Verse 7 of 2 Kings chapter 16. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of king Assyria, from the hand of Israel, uh, who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him. For the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Ker, and killed Rezin. Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. So real quick, uh, <clears throat> this enemy of Israel, Assyria, Ahaz is now going to start paying money for a little protection. And it seems like he gets a little protection. We just read that, that uh, Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, gave a little bit, but then Second Chronicles tells us he really didn't help at all. He didn't help at all. In fact, he's going to end up going and attacking Judah. And so uh, when King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, uh, jumped down just to hear, he saw this altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest uh, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all the workmanship. If you're having trouble keeping, keeping with me, just read, okay? Keep, make sure your Bibles are open to the spot. If you don't have your Bibles open, there's no hope, okay? There's no hope at all. You've got to have your Bibles open. You've got to be reading along with me. You've got to have a pen. Just write down little things. It'll help keep, you, keep, you, um, keep your mind stimulated here, okay? So he, he's got the design for this pagan altar of Assyria and has the priest come and get the, the pattern. Verse 11, then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it because, uh, before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his burnt offerings and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of the peace offering on the altar. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, On the great new altar... Burn the morning offering, the offerings, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering, with the burnt offering, all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it the blood of all the burnt offerings and the blood of the sacrifice, and the bronze altar shall be for uh, me to inquire by. So he's basically taken this pagan altar back to the temple, and he's totally um, remodeling uh, the temple. Everything that the temple was is being remodeled right now. The altar is being set aside. This new altar is being put there. And the only thing that the old altar was for is to inquire, but not to inquire from the Lord. We see now he begins this practice of divination, where he would seek these spiritists and things like that. They would do things like slaughter the animal for the sacrifice and look in its entrails for signs from the spirits and very pagan worship that was in the land before Israel came in. And that's what Ahaz has turned the temple into now. In fact, we even read that he took the big bronze, uh, the sea in the temple, this huge giant jacuzzi, you know, full of water that was sitting on 12 oxen and takes the oxen out and just kind of sets this big hot tub off over there to the side. He's totally messing everything up, all to impress the king of Assyria and kind of, um, you know, kind of look a little more paganish. Thus did Uriah, verse 16, the priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. 
And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts, removed the lavers from them. He took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on the pavement of stones. He also removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the kings um, of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And yes, they are, in case you were wondering. Um, let me just read his death and how, how Chronicles puts it. Uh, you can flip over there, Second Chronicles twenty-eight, twenty-two. It's just three verses here. It says, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. As time was going by, Ahaz just became worse and worse and worse. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I'll sacrifice to them that they could help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. You might underline that. By worshiping these other gods, they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. What gods do you have in your life today besides Jesus? You know, what hobby takes the place of God? What person takes the place of God? You know, what practice and maybe even paganism? You know, what are these things that take his place? You know what, let me tell you right now. Your disobedience is going to be the ruin of you. Not only you, it's going to be the ruin of your family, your home, you know, your career, uh, and and your eternity. Your disobedience is going to be the ruin of you, just like it was Ahaz. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut the doors to the temple, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So just this wicked guy provoking, you know, so sad to see Jotham's son Ahaz wicked. You know, I bet Jotham was just, would have been so grieved as the dad. And, uh, you know, I want to be a bold guy and, you know, go through the next 41 verses of of chapter 17, but um, I'm going to have some mercy on you guys tonight. So, uh, why don't we go ahead and have Stuart come on up? Man, se- chapter 17, it's a lot of what we already know, but it ends with a neat little surprise twist at the end that I was really hoping to get to tonight, but that's okay. Well, let me just read that verse uh, from Romans 15 again. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And you know, the Lord was just waiting, just waiting for an opportunity to show Himself strong on Israel's behalf or Judah's behalf. In fact, as we've been studying, just think back, remember those times that even one of the most wicked kings would show a glimmer of hope, a a glimmer of obedience, and and the Lord would come through so strong on his behalf and fight for him. You know, the Lord is just looking. He's he's sitting on the edge of his seat for a person that would follow wholeheartedly after him so that he could show himself strong on your behalf. And there is such a hope in that tonight as we study, as we look back on these guys. Man, let's let our hearts just be quick Let our hearts be quick to just cry out to God, to lay down those high places, to lay down, you know, those are compromising and are those 
the people that are just taking us away from the Lord. You know, the things that are causing us to get our eyes off of Jesus. And man, there's a lot of them. There's them, you know, those things are in me as well. But the Lord is just waiting for a heart that will be loyal to him. That he could show himself strong on his behalf. And so, just as we close tonight, you can stand and we just want to make just the front here available Just as we worship, let's just ask the Lord to examine our hearts to see if there's any elevated place, any sin, any increasing depravity. And let's surrender those things to the Lord tonight that we might have hope Maybe as the Lord just shows you those things, you might just want to come up and just kneel before the Lord in just a a physical posture of humility and say, Lord, I want to lay down these false gods of self and pride and covetousness, hatred towards people, sexual immorality, child sacrifice, Maybe you're here tonight and, and maybe you've even gone so far as if you, you've had an abortion. And, and in your heart, you're just, you've been feeling like there's no hope and no forgiveness for you. But tonight, there is hope and there's forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. And you can just confess your sin and your shortcomings before the Lord and fall down before His throne of grace and be forgiven and his healing can just begin to take place in your heart and in your life maybe for you here tonight you're, you have a god of sex that needs to be broken and cast down before the feet of Jesus you have a god of alcohol that you worship And you don't need AA, you need Jesus and you need to repent of your sin. And you need to cast that sin down before Him. You've got a sin of drug addiction. And it's going to be the end of you. But tonight, you can be freed from that. But you've got to come to Jesus. Maybe you just have the sin of unbelief like Ahaz did when Isaiah said, just ask, whatever it is, in the heavens or in the, I'll give you a sign. And God wants to do something radical in you, but you just, you're lazy and you just don't want to have the faith and that's not for me. But God wants to do great things in your life. Lay down that fear and lay down that laziness and lay down that lack of discipline in your life and just watch how he'll move in you but as we worship i just man i beg of you to respond to the lord tonight and not to leave this room the same way you came in 
but to be transformed by the Spirit of God. He wants to change you tonight. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.